In the beginning, there was darkness. A void waiting to be filled with the echoes of destiny. From the depths of time, legends emerged. Heroes forged in the fires of adversity, their stories etched in the fabric of eternity. Through the sands of ancient deserts, across the vast expanse of galaxies, and amidst the tumultuous waves of the ocean, their journeys began. But amidst the chaos, there arose a whisper, a call to action, a beacon of hope. Now, as the world holds its breath, a new tale unfolds, a story of courage, of triumph against all odds. Join us as we delve into the depths of imagination, as we embark on a journey beyond the realms of possibility. For in every tale lies a lesson, in every legend a truth waiting to be discovered. This is not just a podcast. This is an odyssey, a quest for knowledge, a quest for inspiration, a quest for the very essence of what it means to be human. Welcome, dear listeners, to a world of infinite possibilities. Welcome, dear listeners, to the True Life Podcast. We're back. What's up, everybody? Did you miss me? I missed you guys. I was thinking about you. How's this whole NLP thing working out for you guys? I'm hopeful that you have taken some time to go through the parts that may have been difficult and do your own homework. There's a lot more. I I could get more in depth. However, I'm in some areas... I'm trying to leave a few gaps so that you're forced to create your own bridge. If I gave you the entirety of the strategy, I fear that it would be a strategy that doesn't last. Right? No one builds things better than those who build for themselves. So let's jump into to, uh, course three. Course three, I'm going to call flow state. We did course one, which is understanding how you think. We've done a little bit in managing our mind, figuring out the difference between the way the brain processes things and how to manage the way we think about them. And this next part is going to be the flow state. Everybody knows what the flow state is. It's when you just, you get in the zone and like everything is just working. My had this old mentor that used to tell me, man, George, the mojo's flowing today. The mojo's flowing. Maybe we'll call this the mojo state. Mojo flowing. Kind of like, kind of like it. Mojo flowing. All right. However, before we get into the flow state, before we get that mojo flowing, we're going to do a little bit more of our intro here. The book from Alice O'Neill. Proverbs. This is going to be on substance and appearance. Substance and appearance. Are you ready? I'm excited, guys and girls. It's going to be a good one today. Substance. Things are what they are. It is what it is. For instance, however long a log lies in the water, it never becomes a crocodile. And you don't gather grapes from thorns or figs from thistles. Nature abhors a vacuum. Thus the pebble comes from the mountain, and each bay has its own wind. In nature, there's no such thing as a lawn. Even if you try to drive out nature with a pitchfork, she'll keep coming back. Indeed, nature follows its course and a cat the mouse, so cats don't catch mice to please God. Human nature is the same the world over, just as the name given to a child becomes natural to it. Perhaps because of this sometimes, a person is nothing and some aren't even that. So never forget, there's a prawn under every rock. And to him who watches, everything reveals itself. Appearance. It is widely held that as is the garden, so is the gardener. 
just as there is no smoke without fire. Indeed, what you see is what you get. So maybe clothes make the man. In most cases, joining tail to trunk reveals the elephant. In the same way that background needs the foreground, and every hill has its valley, so appear always what you are and a little less. For in a flat country, a hillock is a mountain. And don't judge a man until you have walked a mile in his shoes, as it takes all sorts to make the world, and all shoes are not made in the same batch. Indeed, different ponds have fish. Remember, appearances are deceitful. And looks are nothing, behavior is all. And since the eyes are the window of the soul, what the eye doesn't see, the heart doesn't grieve. Disguises. Never judge a book by its cover, for a cowl does not make a monk. And pretty clothes and fine faces don't make good people. Indeed, a fair skin often covers a crooked mind. Perhaps clothes do not make the man, after all. As black souls wear white shirts, while a clever hawk hides its claws. And all too often, under the sheik's turban, there is a monkey. Water can deceive the diver as well, so don't be a fool. Don't think there are no crocodiles if the water is still. And remember, a sweet potato doesn't advertise that he's tasty. Just as the tree with most leaves doesn't always have juicy fruit. It goes without saying that not all white liquids are milk, just as not all black objects are coal, and a sandal is not a shoe. So look deeper and see that the gray mare may be the better horse, despite the fact that a bad horse will eat as much as a good one. And watch out, there are often glowing embers under cold ashes. Remember, eat what you like, but dress as others do. Goodness whispers, but evil shouts. It's a good one, right? It's a good one, right? All right. Let's get into the flow state. Let me see if I can get your mojo flowing. Okay, so we're going to follow the same path. I got a lot of good feedback. We're going to go... Over each key idea, we're going to dissect it, and we're going to do a defensive posture and an offensive posture, giving examples for both. The flow state, key idea one, the expectations we have shape our experience. People can limit or expand what's possible for them by changing their expectations. You know, I I once heard a quote that says, High expectations make poor travel companions. And in a way, that's kind of some verbal jujitsu here. Because expectations do, in fact, shape our experience. So getting back to the quote, high expectations make poor travel companions. You want to be careful about the high expectations. High expectations are fine, but unreasonable expectations are a problem. Just the same way that unreasonable goals are the problem. If you set something so high in such a short amount of time, you're never going to attain it. Realistic goals, as well as realistic expectations, are indeed the checkpoints one must cross through in order to get where it is you need to go. I'm sure you have found yourself in a position where it's almost like a curse sometimes where you go, oh man, this, oh, I, I can just feel this one's going to be great. And whatever it is that was going to be great, you go and you do it and it's not. It's like you feel like you jinxed yourself a little bit. Mostly that happens when you haven't given a lot of thought, when you just have this kind of a, it's kind of a irrational, emotional expectation. And I think that's getting to the heart of what this key point is talking about. A lot of expectations are in fact irrational. If you can hone in on what 
the facts are about the situation you're about to encounter, you can come up with a plausible explanation. And that is when you can polish it and give it a positive spin. That's when you can polish it and say, hey, this thing that happened here, regardless of which way it goes, I'm either going to get a lot of good feedback or it's going to take me to the next spot. When it comes to expectations, when it comes to neuro-linguistic programming, I want you to think about the expectations of the situation with there not being a catastrophic outcome. Because there is no failure. There is in fact only feedback. That is the defensive posture. You know what I mean by that? Have you ever had something bad happen to you and you think to yourself, oh, I'm going to get through this thing or I can't, you know what? Because this happened, I'm not going to do it anymore. That's the wrong state of mind. And that is going back to last chapter. That's the brain processing instead of the mind processing. The NLP practitioner understands that there, there is no failure. There's only feedback. Right, the next time, the next time you get in that situation, you will have experience in that situation. And more than likely, you remember the last chapter where we went over the structure of experience and you've used some anchors in your emotions. And now when you get to, now you can use that to build your structure of expectations. Your experience will help form your expectations. It's also important to note that when you're able to formulate realistic and positive expectations, then you can change what's possible. You can change. Because that formation of expectations is going to allow you to draw a mental map, an accurate mental map of how long it's going to take you to get there. Again, I hope you're starting with course one and course two and course three because you can see they're cumulative. And I'm, I'm often referring to the previous courses to go through these key points. That's the defensive posture. Let's, let's talk about using this key idea in an offensive posture. You can formulate other people's opinions of what's about to happen with a subtle suggestion of what their expectations should be. Like all things in NLP, anytime you're going to suggest something, it should be subtle. It's never worked in the first question. The subtlety of NLP is usually changing a few words in a sentence in the third or fourth line of dialogue. It's very subtle. The same way a light rain saturates the ground, so does a few choice words saturate the mind of the individual. For NLP to be effective, it's imperative people think the idea you put in their mind is in fact their idea. Too many people that want to be persuasive. Too many people that want to be influencers. Too many people that have read a little. They want to be responsible for the idea. They want all the credit for it. Hey, that was my idea. Hey, you stole my idea. Fuck that. Don't worry about that. That's gay. That's, that's bullshit. Your objective is not to get credit. Your objective is to influence people. Your objective is to get the results you want without people knowing what you're doing. It's like doing the magic trick. Don't mess up. You do the magic trick and they see you do it, no one's going to believe you. So it's subtle. And again, this is why we go through all the defense first before we start trying to wield the offense. Key point two, mental rehearsal, like visualization, can enable someone to increase their actual performance. This one's a no-brainer. 
much like visualization, if you've played sports, if you've watched film, if you've watched tapes, if you've studied for a big test, if you've ever prepared for a big event using visualization, then rehearsing shall come easy to you. The way I do it is I constantly, if I know I have an interview coming up or if I know I have a situation or a critical situation where I'm going to need to influence people I love or influence people in the workplace or prepare people for situations that could be dangerous, then I have that mental conversation with whomever I'm going to have it with later and I argue it out. I rehearse it and I rehearse it a lot. You should have an answer for every question that's going to be thrown your way if you know you're going into a situation that's critical. Sometimes we don't, we're thrust into situations. However, if you are, know you got a meeting coming up, if you know that down the line there's going to be repercussions for something happened then you should be doing your due diligence and having that mental argument with yourself. A lot of people call it red teaming. You know what I mean by that? Where you think of all the possible questions someone could throw at you to derail your argument and then you answer them all. But not only that, you try to think of what their follow-up question would be to the first question. In the beginning, it's difficult. However, once you start practicing this it becomes easier it's just like it's like building muscle the more you the more you build it the more effective it becomes the stronger it comes don't be afraid to talk to yourself don't be afraid to talk out loud don't be afraid to organize your thoughts because that is exactly what the mental rehearsal is Another point during the mental rehearsal that can be effective is using an anchor. I have a, uh, one of those yellow trees hanging from my mirror. It smells like vanilla. And I've always used the smell of vanilla to anchor my winning arguments. So once I've done my mental preparation, once I've done my mental rehearsal... You know, I'm usually in my truck before I, before I go someplace, before I go to the meeting or, or, or where, wherever it is that I'm going to go to battle at linguistically. And before I get there, I go through my, I go through my game plan. I go through my arguments. But I do it while you know, taking a nice whiff of the, the, the tree hanging from my mirror. And every time I do that, that anchor, that smell reminds me of the last time I was in a situation and I won. And it just gives you that extra bit of confidence that you need for mental rehearsal. It's like a one extra push just to solidify the confidence. That's the defensive posture. The offensive posture... This is, a, this is kind of a... There's a few of these where... You know how sometimes they say the best defense is a good offense? This is one where the best offense is a good defense. And I say that because the mental rehearsal, you are practicing taking shots. You're practicing. You're rehearsing someone grilling you. So as you're doing that, You're thinking of counterpunching. Think about all, after you've done the mental rehearsal of, of all the questions they could ask you, of all the questions the interrogator is going to come at you with. Think about what your counterpunch would be. Think about how you would react. Would you pause? Would you say nothing? Would you take a pen and just write everything down until that person was entirely done grilling you? It's an effective strategy. And it's my go-to for my mental rehearsal. If I know I'm going to be in a situation where I get grilled, then I just take my pen and my pad, I write everything down, what that person is saying, and I let them punch themselves out. 
Sometimes it takes a while. Sometimes they want to go, they want to interrogate you. Just boom, 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 boom. But they'll eventually get tired. Like any, like any slugger in a boxing ring, they eventually get tired. And if you've written down some key notes and you've done your mental rehearsal, you can counterpunch. When they get tired, their guard comes down. You can use their words against them if you write them down. Next key point. Our energy levels are linked to our physiology. Someone can improve how their brain, body, and mind work together by changing their body position. Breathing deeply. Drinking enough water. Breaking large tasks into smaller ones. Or where they focus for 20 minutes and then take a break. Can't, I can't talk enough about how important physiology is. The older we get, the more difficult it is to maintain our body. But if you don't love your body, you don't love yourself. You've got to get in. I'm not saying you have to look like you're 22 or 23. But if you're not where you're happy, then you're going to have these negative critical thoughts in the back of your mind that are going to get in the way of everything. They're just going to get in the way. You've got to be comfortable with your body. On a defensive posture, understand that if you if you're asking questions about your body, if you're starting to think you have negative thoughts about your body, you got to work on it. That's where you're vulnerable. On an offensive posture, if you see somebody that doesn't love their body, you know that that's a critical, more than likely a vulnerable spot where they're weak. You know that because every one of us have have had times where they didn't feel they were enough. And if someone's body is, someone's physiology is, is not where it should be, you know without a doubt they've spent time looking in the mirror and thinking about it. And they don't like it. When it comes to NLP, if you choose to use that as an avenue to program people, if you're going to choose talking about the vulnerable physiology of somebody else. Don't make it an ad hominem attack. Don't make it obvious. You want to refer to something else. Again, with the, with the light rain saturating the ground. Again, with the changing of the words in the third line of dialogue. You can refer to something big. You know, refer to something out of place. It'll get them thinking. On a related point of physiology, one thing you can do that is tied to the amygdala is is a sense of threat. And so when you find yourself in a meeting, mostly what happens is you come into the meeting and everyone sits down. What if you choose not to sit down? You see, when you go into someone's turf and you're sitting across from them, they're usually in a nice chair. They're usually in a little bit more of an authoritative position. But it doesn't have to be that way. When you come into the office, when you come into the boardroom, when you go into wherever it is that you're going to have the meeting, you could choose to stand. It'll make the other person really uncomfortable. Hey, have a seat. No, I think I'll stand. That line of dialogue right there, it just shifted the context of the conversation. You've thrown the other person off their game by changing their expectations which is key point one. 
You've changed their focus. You've probably changed what they're going to say. Especially if that person is not as fit. You see, it's these little changes in physiological posture, in linguistic posture, that point out the flaws in the other person. That's how you would wield this particular key point in an offensive manner. The next key point. Someone's strategy is a sample of a motivation that works for them. Once someone identifies a motivational strategy that works well, they can apply those insights and submodalities to motivating themselves in the situations. A good way to think about this key point and the defensive posture is, what have you done in the last five years where you saw an increase in productivity? What have you done in the last five years where you've changed something and gotten better. Let's say for example, over the last six months or year or five years, you have made the change of, instead of rolling over and hitting the snooze button, you've made the change of rolling out of the bed and getting into your shoes and going for a walk. Or waking up and rolling out of your bed in your shoes and going for a run. Or waking up, rolling out of bed, getting in your shoes and going to the gym. How did you create that strategy what did you do to motivate yourself to get that done did you set up a system of rewards and punishments for yourself if you didn't do it whatever strategy you use to accomplish success in the past can be used as a pattern for success in the future and it's imperative that you understand what strategy you did a lot of people They start doing stuff and they don't really truly understand how they did it. When you do things and you see progress, and this is why it's important to chart progress, when you see and chart your progress, what you're really doing is you're fleshing out the strategy that makes it possible for you to move forward. One key point I want everyone to think about on strategy is how did you feel when you accomplished it? How did you feel when you, the first week you started rolling out and going to the gym? I felt great. I felt in control. I felt confident. I felt like things were how they should be. You see, how you feel when you apply your strategy How you feel is almost as important as the strategy itself. It's like the yin and the yang. You know the the Chinese symbol? Feeling and strategy, they go hand in hand. And if you can understand the feeling of how that successful strategy is, then you can recreate that feeling in yourself even if you have to fake that feeling for a moment putting yourself back into that flow state that feeling will allow the strategy to win it will help it resurface it'll help you integrate the strategy into whatever it is you're trying to accomplish next and that's why feeling is so important to strategy In fact, I would argue that feeling and strategy together are the flow state. Feeling and strategy together are the flow state. How do you feel when the strategy you use works? When you remember one, you can remember the other. When you remember the feeling, you can integrate the strategy. When you integrate the strategy, you will produce the feeling. The yin and the yang. Next key point. I'm sorry, that's, that's the defensive posture. 
Let's think about how to use this on an offensive posture. A lot of the times you can see people do things. And because we're human beings, we can see their emotions when they do it. Remember, we're all mirrors of each other. So what you see in somebody else is what you see in yourself. If you see something you don't like in somebody else, that's because that's something you need to work on on you. If you see something you do like in somebody else, that's because it's something that you have in you. So when you're watching someone perform their strategy, pay attention to the signs of their emotion. And then you will understand what emotion they link to their strategy and vice versa. And if you're in a, if you end up being in competition with that person and you know which emotion they connect to a winning strategy, then you can interrupt their flow state. It's like playing a record. If you can see the way someone plays their record and then you went over there and you took like a big rock and you just scratched up the record or you took a pen and scratched up the record, they can't play that record anymore without it skipping. So when you wield this particular flow state, flow state strategy in the offensive manner, you're going to interrupt their pattern of emotion and strategy. That's the offense. On the defense, you must know your emotion and its relationship to your strategy so that no one can come over and interrupt your flow state. It's really powerful, guys, because every one of us has, we've all been in the flow state before. What I want to tell you and what I want to show you is that you can create that state within yourself by understanding what it is. It's important to note that it can be easily interrupted if you don't understand what your flow state is. Next key point. Energy, enthusiasm, and confidence work together to shape motivation and build momentum. Momentum, guys. Momentum, momentum, momentum. Isn't it strange how if you're like me, you have spent time on the bottom and spent time on the top. And when you're on the bottom, I'll tell you what it sounds it seems like nothing ever goes your way, right? But when you're on the top, you feel unstoppable. Right? That's because when you're on the top and you're unstoppable, you have momentum. You're building one success on top of another success on top of another success. It's like a wheel rolling downhill, gaining speed and gaining speed. In the beginning, when you're on the bottom, you're just a rock stuck on the side of the hill. Hopefully a wagon comes or hopefully somebody comes and starts kicking you. Start, start causing you to roll downhill. If you are stuck on the hill... You got to get that first win. Make the first win something easy so that you can start the momentum yourself. Once you begin that first win, then you stack on the second and then the third and then the fourth. And when you start rolling down the hill, that's the flow state. Be aware of your emotion, how it affects your strategy. The energy, the enthusiasm, the confidence, they all come from momentum. And that's why it's important to get that first win. That's why it's important. You ever watch UFC or boxing and like the first, ten, the guys with like, at least in boxing, the first 10 fights are always just some, some poor schlup. You know what I mean? Like the, the young kid fights these first 10 guys to get his momentum up. It's important. It's an important fact of life. Momentum is everything. Without momentum, you don't have energy. You don't have the enthusiasm. And you sure as hell don't have the confidence.
Knowing that is the defensive posture. The offensive posture is to slow someone's momentum. Right? And the components that we get from momentum, energy, enthusiasm, and confidence, those are all particular areas that would hinder someone's momentum. There's specific techniques. There's specific lines of dialogue. There's specific situations that cause people to lose momentum. And you must be aware of those so you don't lose momentum. Defensive. Be aware of what they are for other people. Offensive. Those are the patterns you would interrupt if you want to wield NLP in an offensive manner. Next key point. Critical voices can be internalized and active for years. Eliminating the internal critical voice can be compelling. It can be the difference between first and second place. It can be the difference between happiness and destruction. Is everyone aware of the critical voices? A lot of us have different critical voices. For some people, it's their mother. For some people, it's their father. For some people, it's their boss. For some people, it's their children. You know, all of us are in different positions in life and all of us are in different times in our life. All of us have different ways of thinking about life. A lot of us are from different cultures. But the NLP, the NLP method simplifies this for us. Regardless of your culture or regardless of your thought patterns, you probably have critical voices. It's important to first off identify that critical voice. Is that critical voice the voice of experience? Is that critical voice something that someone you loved always said to you? I would like to reference our friend Socrates here and ask, is that true? There's two methods you can use to silence that critical voice. If, and this is a big if, if that critical voice is a nuisance, if that critical voice is not something that needs to be listened to, if that critical voice is something that is destructive, then you can use these two techniques to silence them. Number one is the Socrates method. Is that true? When you hear the critical voice automatically goes to, is that true? Okay, that's going to either allow you to turn down the volume or listen. Is that true? That puts the critique on the critical voice. You've turned the tables. You've used NLP on yourself. You have utilized the defensive posture. You've silenced the critical voice. The second technique, change the sound of the critical voice. Change the persona of the critical voice. A lot of people are carrying around critics in their life that are unfair. But the voice stays with them because it's someone they love. Or maybe it's a bully that always hated them, that always beat them up. But it's very common for that critical voice to be an authority figure, be it someone that beat them up or someone that was older or someone they respected that cheated on them or someone they respected that lied to them. And without knowing it, that critical voice is tied to that position of authority. So something real easy and kind of fun you do is you change the persona. You change the sound. Let's say you hear the voice of the person say, you're always, you've always been a quitter. You're always a quitter. 
change that voice from the sound of an authoritative male to like a chipmunk, right? Some, change it to like something silly. So it's like, you're always a failure. You know, like some stupid cartoon, cartoon voice. And that will automatically silence the voice. When you think about the sound of the voice, when you think about the sound of the critique, think of like Beavis and Butthead or think of someone just so dumb that you can't listen to that voice. And that too will silence the critic. A lot of times the critical voice, it's not critique, it's a lack of understanding. It's extra baggage you've been carrying around. And those critical voices, those that extra baggage, that unwanted negativity can weigh you down, especially when you're right on the one yard line. So many times that critical voice calls an audible right before you're about to score. And the next thing you know, you're going to settle for a field goal. Silence the critical voice. Is that true? Change it to a silly character. Change the persona, change the sound, score the touchdown. That's the defensive posture. The offensive posture is to know that everybody else has a critical voice. And unless they have done the work that you've done on yourself, they're more than likely going to fall victim to that critical voice. Or at best, they're going to have a 50-50 chance. If you know you've done the work on the critical voice, if you've silenced it, if you've asked if it's true, if you've changed the persona, you've changed the tone, and you've dealt with the monster under the bed, a.k.a. the critical voice, then you're not going to pause. You're not going to have that moment of incongruence that we talked about in the previous chapter. When you're going to wield it in the offensive position, no. When you see the incongruence in someone else, it's probably the critical voice in the back of that person's head. If you know the person well, you may not you may even know the source of that critical voice. And that puts you in a position to really help that person. If you can find out who the critic in somebody else's head is, well then that's going to allow you to go into that person's head and stop that critic. And when you do that for somebody else, the level of commitment that person will feel towards you will be scary. When you do that for somebody else, the power you feel in yourself will be scary. The techniques we're teaching, the techniques I'm teaching you guys right now are profound. And they can have profound effects. These are the same techniques that you know, people coming out of some of the best Ivy League schools in our nation are wielding. And you don't have to be an Ivy League full-ride scholarship student to understand these. In fact, I would argue that people who have had a difficult life could wield these strategies better. I, I think... I think all the time that the people, the people who look like they're the most misfortunate have the most opportunity. These are the people that have gone through the very most and come out the other side. And if you can do that, you have that momentum we talked about earlier in the key point. You can truly understand these techniques if you've come through some very difficult situations in your life because the chances are you've applied a lot of these strategies and not even known it. And now that we've given them substance, now that we've defined them, now that we have found an offensive strategy and a defensive strategy, you'll learn that you've, you're like Dorothy and you've always had the ruby red slippers. You've had, you've had them the whole time. It's just now you've been given the opportunity to name them, to care for them, to develop them, and you've been given instruction on the proper way to use them. next key point all right last key point someone can increase the current competence by rehearsing positive mental states and reliving their greatest hits 
So this is, it's similar to the mental rehearsal. But instead of, instead of looking at a opponent or a game or a match or a meeting you're going to be into, this is more reflective. You're going to look back at some or all of the areas where you previously had a lot of success. These, that's why I'm calling them your greatest hits. Think of the times you were down and you came back and won. Think about the times everything was perfect. Think about the times you were in the flow state, you knew you were going to win, and you did. These are the great... These are the... Replaying the greats. These are the greatest hits. And when you go back and you look at them, start looking for little details. Did you have an anchor during that one? Did you have the vanilla scent on your arm? Did you wear your blue tie? Did you have your lucky rabbit's foot? (laughs) You know, whatever anchors you use during those particular greatest hits, was there something in common? Write them down. Maybe it's something you didn't know. Oh, you know what? I ate a piece of toast every morning. Every time I won, I ate that piece of toast. Going back and reliving your greatest hits is an opportunity to go back and refine the strategy. It's a way to go back and make the winning pathway concrete. It's a way to lay down techniques that will be more permanent. It's like repetition is the mother of skill. Repetition is the mother of skill. Repetition is the mother of skill. And when you go back for this key point and you relive the greatest hits, look for the very subtle anchors. And if there's things in there that may or may not have happened, because every time we relive a greatest hits, what we're really doing is we're reconstructing that memory. Be aware of that, because that allows you to tinker with it. You can reconstruct that memory to have done something you wish you would have done. Is that clear? I'm willing to bet that everybody has sat down in a meeting and then walked out of that meeting and been like, ah, you know what I should have said? I should have said this. When you go back and you replay the greatest hits, reconstruct that memory and in that memory, actually say that thing that you wanted to have said. Instead of trying to remind yourself to come up with that thing next time, relive that experience and allow that thing you wished would have happened, allow that to have actually happened in the experience. That's what I mean by tinkering with the greatest hits. Go back there and make them greater. The brain doesn't know whether something really happened or you truly believe it. So go back into those greatest hits and make them better. And that's gonna give you the confidence you need to put out another greatest hits album later. Once you've done this several times, you won't be walking out of the meeting wishing you would have said it because you would have said it. You will say it. But future behavior is predicated on past behavior. So even if you didn't do it in the past, go back, reconstruct it and do it now. So that in the future, you'll do it again. Past relevant behavior is the best predictor of future behavior. And you can reconstruct your past relevant behavior. Play the greatest hits. I love you guys. You having fun yet? No one's having more fun than us right now. Nobody. Are you kidding me? I am so excited for you guys. I know. I've already had a couple people call me and say, George, you know, the first lesson really got me thinking. And the second lesson, it, it made me talk to my kid better. It made me talk to my wife better. But the best comments I have gotten are from people telling me, George, I've been able to notice some things about myself that were really minor and I changed them and they made a big difference. That's my goal. 
I want you to be defensive in the NLP. However, I want you to also be able to wield NLP in an offensive strategy. You understand? I love you guys. Aloha. Aloha, everyone. Thanks for taking a moment to hang out with me in the True Life Podcast. I truly appreciate it. If you're taking some time to listen to this, whether it's your first podcast with me or you've been with me the whole way, I truly want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Additionally, I would like to try to inspire everyone. The world is a crazy place. And if you listen to your heart and you take some chances, I really think the world will unfold in front of you in ways you can't imagine. I've been doing the podcast for about five years. Last year, I decided to take the plunge. Well, circumstances dictated that I took the plunge. And I did. I've begun working on the podcast full-time for almost a year now. And it's been so rewarding to me that I would just want to try and inspire other people. If you have a dream, if you have a vision, follow the voice in your heart. Listen to the song on the wind and embrace the challenge. I think you're strong enough, you're smart enough, and you're good enough to make your dreams come true. But you have to believe in them. And I truly believe wholeheartedly that if you take a chance, a real chance on what is possible, then your dreams will unfold in front of you. Uncertainty can be a monster. It can be something that we run away from. But much like fear, if you stand in front of it, it's not that big of a problem. I know everyone listening to this has a dream and a vision, and I hope you all conquer it. And I want you to know it's possible. Take baby steps and move towards it, and you will get closer to it. Your relationships will be better. Your life will be better. And you know what? You deserve it. You're an amazing person. If you get a moment, go down to the show notes. If you can, support the show. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's get to it.